Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors educational podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. I'm here today with Frederick Alexander, the CEO of the Shareholder Commons and a current member of CII's Markets Advisory Council. The topic today is McRitchie versus Zuckerberg, a class action filed on October 3rd, 2022, in the Delaware Court of Chancery. The complaint alleges that the directors of Meta Platforms, Inc. breached their fiduciary duties by ignoring the impact of the company's operations on the diversified portfolios of its shareholders. Welcome, Mr. Alexander. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So, Mr. Alexander, you are the CEO of the Shareholder Commons. What is the Shareholder Commons? And what is its role in the McRitchie versus Zuckerberg litigation? So Shareholder Commons is a, a small nonprofit organization, and our goal is to represent the interests of diversified shareholders in particular. So if you think about the, you know, the shareholder activism community and what they're doing around ESG and sustainability and other matters, what we look to do is to give them sharper tools by focusing on the conflict of interest that exists between corporate executives and their diversified shareholders. And just to identify that, because I think it'll help in talking about the case, we see that conflict of interest as a natural state of affairs, not something that anyone is doing wrong, but you know, corporate directors and uh, executives in the C-suite are naturally focused on maximizing the value of the corporation they're responsible for. And that's great in, in the general case, if companies can figure out how to be efficient and innovative and, and make more money for their shareholders, that's their job. But sometimes those executives can figure out ways to increase the company's profits, increase its enterprise value by externalizing costs, because it's just less expensive if you don't clean up your own mess and if you can lower costs in ways that push costs onto others. But what we focus on at the shareholder commons is the fact that often when a company, an individual company, externalizes a cost, that cost gets re-internalized by the economy as a whole. And since most shareholders are broadly diversified, their portfolios also re-internalize those costs because the single greatest determinant of the long-term value of a diversified portfolio is the value of the economy as a whole. So, so we're trying to address basically the externalization of social and environmental costs by companies. Mr. Alexander, what is Plaintiff McRitchie's legal theory in this case, and how does Defendant Made a Platform Inc.'s dual-class stock structure advance that theory? Yeah, the second part of that question is, is a very good question. I mean, the first part is, is simply it's a this case is like an instantiation of the theory of change I just described. So if you, if you look back about, you know, a little more than a year now, uh, the Wall Street Journal published a series of articles called the Facebook Papers based on, uh, some whistleblower documents and testimony by Francis Haugen, uh, an ex Facebook, now, now Meta Platforms employee. And basically what these documents and what her testimony showed was that the company knew that the way it was sort of running its platforms, in particular, the way they use their algorithms to increase user engagement while increasing the company's profits, because their profits are based on increasing user engagement, because that increases traffic and that increases 
their ability to generate advertising revenues. What these papers, what Francis Haugen's testimony showed, was that a lot of the techniques they used to increase that traffic were very harmful to its own users. So for instance, teenage girls, they had lots of issues, body image issues that were caused by the way Instagram worked and the way they you know, engaged with, with those users. Uh, and outside the US, there was lots of ethnic violence, which was instigated using the Facebook platform. And again, the way the platform was designed and where the company chose to save money and chose to put its efforts led to greater violence. Francis Haugen kind of made headlines saying the company puts its profits before the interests of its users. What the complaint does is take that idea that the company puts the interest of its profits before the interests of its users and translates it into this theory of change we have with respect to diversified shareholders. Because what the complaint says is that by putting the interests of its profits before the interests uh, or, or its, its own interests in generating profits before the interests of its users, it's also putting that interest before the interests of its diversified shareholders. Because all those kind of negative activities uh, that they're engaged in don't just harm its users, they actually harm the economy. Just to give you an example, one of the things the Facebook papers talked about was the fact that the companies need to generate traffic led to extra generation of anti-vaccine activity. And that led to less use of the vaccine. And there's lots of economic literature. It shows that continuing COVID pandemic reduces the value of the economy. And when you reduce the value of the economy, you reduce the value of the portfolio of diversified shareholders. And so our complaint is basically saying the directors and officers of the company are ignoring that important impact and they're supposed to be acting for the benefit of their shareholders. And it's just a fact that most of their shareholders are diversified. And this is where the dual class problem comes in. As you said, Facebook now Meta Platforms is controlled by Mark Zuckerberg. He has 54% of the vote, even though he has, I don't know, like 10% of the stock because he has this high voting stock. So here he is with like $50 billion worth of stock. He's not diversified. All of his financial interest lies in increasing the value of the company, no matter what it does to the economy, whereas most shareholders are harmed by that. Now, in a company that didn't have dual class, one thing the shareholders could do is when they witness that impact of the conflict of interest between them and the insiders is vote out the board or vote for shareholder proposals. That can't happen at Facebook, at Meta Platforms, because of this dual class structure. So it really... Um, exacerbates the conflict of interest I talked about. Mr. Alexander, in the defendant made a platform inc's motion to dismiss the case, they argue that plaintiff McRitchie is not pursuing claims under the law as it exists, but rather is using this case to broadcast his theories about how he would like the law to change. You're a Delaware law expert, so what's your response to defendant's motion? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm not surprised <laughs> that that's that that's the position they would take. Um, but and, and look, I will also say that it is true that when a lot of people think about Delaware law and shareholder primacy, they translate that into what I'll call company-only shareholder primacy. But, but I would say that's not really because that's what the precedent says. 
it's because the question has not, not often been asked. If you think about the violation that comes up in most cases where you know uh, plaintiffs and defendants are arguing about whether directors met their fiduciary duties, they just naturally you know, assume that we're talking about uh, the value of the company. So if a, in a merger, lots of litigation around mergers, and that's just about how much you sold the company for. It's, it's the natural thing for a plaintiff to sue over. You know, by the same token in a typical derivative case, there'll be like some, you know, negative event, like a big regulatory fine that causes a stock price drop. And so you're naturally focused on the stock price fell, and that's the harm that everybody can see. And so you don't even need to think about harm to diversified shareholders because the harm just, it hurts the company and it hurts all its shareholders simply through, you know, a failure to, you know, mine the store. This is just different. The Facebook papers and and the whistleblowers' testimony were like very, um, you know, I won't say unique, but but you know, very much focused on this harm that the company was causing to society in general by focusing on its profits. So it just prevents it. It presents an opportunity to talk about a theory that people don't often talk about. Like what I would say is if you actually go back and try to find precedent where this issue even came up, it's somewhat supportive of what we're saying. There's like a, a very kind of famous case, not from not from Delaware, but from New York, but it's it's called Joy v. North. And everybody reads it in law school in their corporation law class. It kind of establishes the modern business judgment rule, which is this doctrine that says that uh courts are supposed to give a lot of discretion to directors and incur because they want to encourage them to take risks and, and do innovations. And they feel like if they could get sued every time they made just like a little mistake or it looked like they made a mistake, it would discourage innovation. And in this case, Ralph Winter, who's kind of a well-known, you know, for his writings on corporate law, said, look, we need to, to have the business judgment rule in modern corporation law because most shareholders are diversified. And those diversified shareholders, and, and I won't go into it, but for sort of theoretical portfolio reasons, reasons that underlie modern portfolio theory. Um, for those reasons, those shareholders, those diversified shareholders want directors to take risks. And then he said, now some shareholders aren't diversified, but they can take care of themselves. So when it's come up, the courts have very clearly said they can take into account, they should take into account, uh, you know, the interest of diversified shareholders as a class. Mr. Alexander, what's the current status of the McRitchie versus Zuckerberg case? When do you expect a decision? And what do you and the shareholder commons hope will be accomplished by this litigation? Yeah, just uh, real quick for you know listeners who aren't really like closely familiar with uh, the ins and outs of, of litigation. What, what happens when you file a complaint like we did is we basically say, here's all the things that we think have happened based on our investigation and all these press reports. And here's why we think that's a violation of the law. And rather than going straight to having a trial over that, the defendants, the people that we're suing, the directors and officers of the corporation, they have an opportunity to say, wait a minute, judge, even if everything that this plaintiff has said is true, it's, it's not really a claim. That's like, we're allowed to do that kind of thing. And it's, Called a motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim. And, and, and what that means is you're just looking at 
what we what we kind of claim they did and taking that as true. And the defendants have decided to go that route. So rather than going to a trial and arguing about whether they really did these things, they filed this motion to dismiss and they said, look, even if everything that, you know, Mr. McRitchie says is true, there's there's no violation here because we're doing our job as directors by maximizing the value, whatever the cost to the economy and diversified shareholders. So that's what the court's going to decide. So since they filed that motion to dismiss and, and a brief explaining why, the plaintiff has an opportunity to either just answer and say, no, here's my arguments back, or he can kind of, and his lawyers can sort of read read that brief and that motion to dismiss and say, oh, we need to adjust our complaint a little bit to make sure that the court's really answering the right question. And I, I think that's probably what will happen. There'll probably be an amended answer file that kind of sharpens what we're arguing about, what the law is. And then the two sides will file their briefs. And then we'll actually go, the lawyers for the two sides will go in front of the judge and argue back and forth. Again, just a purely legal argument, accepting the facts and the complaint is true. And based on that, the court will decide whether, yes, companies can just maximize value and ignore the impact they're having on a diversified portfolio, or no, you do have to think about that. And if if the court says the defendants are right, that's the end of the case. If the court says the plaintiffs are right, uh, you know, our side that's claiming this is a problem, then there'll be a trial over whether that really happened. And, and what I would say is sort of, I think, interesting about this case is that even now, even though all we've seen is a complaint and this motion to dismiss, I think it speaks volumes. Uh, and I think this is really something that your constituents, um, you know, particularly asset owners, should pay attention to because what they've said, like, there's a lot of kind of blurry talk out there about stakeholder governance and ESG and financial materiality and trying to think about how you know companies can do the right thing by the environment and by communities and, and by society and also do the job they need to do for their shareholders. But that discussion doesn't often focus on, on this issue, this conflict issue I talked about at the beginning. And what this, what their answer has highlighted is, and this is one of the biggest, most important companies in the world. Three and a half billion people are affected by them on a daily basis, one of their four big platforms. And they've said, we operate in a way that ignores the impact we're having on diversified shareholders. And I think that's really important for the asset owners who are members of CII to understand because that's not good for them. I think, you know, some of the, the biggest challenges they face in sort of making sure that they're able to meet their obligations and liabilities over the long term is making sure that the economy as a whole, the systems that underlie that economy continue to function. And what this case has done is to sort of put that marker that companies aren't really prioritizing that. They're prioritizing their own returns. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's sometimes you can prioritize your own returns and you know, align with the Paris Accords or pay fair wages. But in a lot of instances, that won't be the case. And, and we see that conflict day in and day out in the ESG battles. And so I think looking beyond sort of the legal, the outcome of the actual legal case, I think this helps to define like one of the, the issues. Um, that's most important for stockholder activism to face up to, which is how to address this conflict. That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to again thank my special guest, Frederick Alexander, CEO. 
of the shareholder commons. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at Jeff, J-E-F-F at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.